You're listening to the Deadly Uncle Podcast. A safe space for deadly uncle conversations. All right, next we have Roger Ross, all the way from Saskatchewan. Yeah, Roger works with the Catholic School Board in Regina, where he created a position for himself as a cultural worker with the kids there in the school district. Yes, a wonderful storyteller. I've had the honor to work with him at some different events in Saskatchewan. Yeah, so sit back and relax, because Roger is going to tell almost an hour worth of stories, and it's going to be well worth your time. So I'm a member of George Gordon First Nation, uh, but like I said, I was born and raised in the city, and I've never, uh, I've never lived on the reserve, and I've never been taken from my family. You know, and at, at my age, that's a very rare thing in our community. You know, so I count my blessings every day. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was quite young, so I actually have two sets of parents, uh, and and you know, they were both both sets of parents were a part of our lives growing up. So that was a good thing. Um, I had a lot of other influences in my lifetime. Uh, big Bruce Lee fan, so got heavily, <laughs> got heavily involved in the martial arts. And uh, I, weapons are my thing. Uh, I use nunchaku. I use uh, daisho, uh, Chinese or Japanese uh, samurai sword. Uh, pretty much anything you put in my hands, I'll I'll find a way to use it. Um, and I started doing that when I was really young. I was about 10 years old when I started. Uh, and it got me through a lot of stuff, but it got me into a lot of stuff, too. Yeah. Uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic and a drug addict. My professional career, uh, I was trained as a journalist and filmmaker. Uh, I've made, I don't know, pretty close to 300 films, I guess, in my career. Uh, won some international awards some of my productions but for me it was more the life experiences that i got out of it you know the ability to travel the ability to sit in ceremony you know with with elders from all types of nations and you know my my sobriety relied a lot on my nationhood and as much as i went through an outpatient program and stuff like that um i really relied on on our way of being you know, to, to, you know, really turn my life around. I didn't, you know, I wasn't as bad off as, as others, you know, and, and you don't think of it, but as I grew up, I actually was far more privileged than, you know, a lot of my family members and, you know, having, you know, two sets of parents made a big difference for us, you know? So in 1999, I started my own film production company. Uh, it was a multimedia company actually. Uh, Cree Runner Communications Limited, and I have the same staff today as I had in 1999. Wow. And yeah, and now I actually work for the Regina Catholic School District. Uh, this is going into my fifth year with them. Um, they hired me initially as a knowledge keeper, and then they created a position specifically for me, and they gave me a really fancy title. You know, I'm, I'm the Indigenous Cultural Liaison. Uh, which is, you know, just means that I, I'm the brown guy in the building, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, but I do get to be in classrooms and I do get to influence, you know, younger kids. Uh, I'm actually, my office is located in North Central in Regina, so I'm at Sacred Heart School, which is literally in the heart of, of North Central. And it was so weird because when I when I got there, uh, my cousin was the vice principal. 
and she's quite a bit younger than I am. Uh, but and and I remember talking to her one day, and I said, you know, we spent our whole life getting out of this neighborhood, and and here we are right back in it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it turned out to be a good thing because you know I guess I mean the kids see me as a role model. I get that, uh, but for me, it's just the relationship, you know, because I know where they where they come from, right? And and I know what they have to go home to. You know, I know most days they're coming home or coming to school. You know, because it's a safe place to go. You know, and and having that knowledge, you know, and and the awareness of the community, uh, it really opens my heart more to what I'm doing and and how I'm doing it. You know, so as much as I'm teaching a lot of historical stuff, uh, I'm talking about our ceremonies. I'm talking about the pipe. I'm talking about treaties. And you know, I had two grandfathers that helped negotiate Treaty Four. So all of that plays into, you know, where I got to and how I got to be where I am. You know, I, I get labeled a storyteller quite a bit. And, you know, maybe as a filmmaker, yeah, you know, but personally, I like to think of it more as I'm a memory keeper. Mm. You know, I keep the memories of our, of our old ones. And, and to me, that's a sacred trust. So I'm very mindful, you know, of how I teach these things. And, you know, even in, you know, being around those kids is really important that I never show anger, mm -hmm. you know, that I never show that I'm upset about anything. And it doesn't matter how tough the subject is. I have to find a way to be neutral and yeah. to talk them through it, you know, and to help them you know, get to a place of understanding without feeling angst or, or trauma, right? Because all of this stuff can be triggering and, you know, we need to be mindful. And I think that happens a lot with our younger men. You know, they get triggered by things because they, they don't know how to put it into context and how to grow from that, right? They just get stuck in there. And that's so hard to, to break, you know, to break through, uh, you know, guys who have that mindset. But that, no, you know, that's, a, that's a bit about me. I, I could totally see that. Like when I, you know, when I saw you in uh, Regina, I can see why they uh, they call you storyteller. There was some uh, definitely some um, some interesting stories that you have. So, um, you know, growing up, you know, in Regina, um, where did you get your you know your teachings and and stuff that you are able to teach um, you know to to the children and stuff that you're doing now? Well, ever since I was a kid, I, I had a. I had an ability to go to the movies and come home and tell my mom the story from start to finish. So I've always had that gift to, to listen, uh, especially when I was fully immersed in it. You know, with Bruce Lee movies, it's the same thing. I know all the dialogue, right? And Bruce didn't have a lot of lines, but I knew all of them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that was a gift that I, that I was told later on in ceremony that, you know, I had that gift. And the ancestors acknowledged that. Um, but when I was young, I was about 20, I was 20 years old and I, I met a young lady and fell in love with her. We were together for eight years and her name is Deborah Piapot. Her grandfather, her Mushum, was Emil Piapot and Emil was the son of Chief Piapot, the last signatory to Treaty 4. So he was one generation removed from, from Treaty and he also knew of my families that helped negotiate it too so that old man uh you know was the first one who took me in 
and started to show me, you know, this way. And I wasn't ready for it, but I listened, you know, and, and I, every time he would come over, I would tobacco him, you know, and he would look at me and shake me off, you know, <laughs> he'd like, I said, what's the matter with you? He said, you know, he goes, uh, he goes, you can't have these things, eh? And I said, okay, what's the matter? He said, well, you're still doing crazy things. He said, so you can't have this stuff, you know? He goes, but I'm going to share it with you because of this tobacco, eh? And he said, so I'll share it with you. And I, he goes, because someday you're going to need it. He goes, there's something about you, he said. I know your family and I know who you are. You know, so he started to share with me. And it wasn't until I was 33, I turned 34 that summer. January, midnight of January 1st was when I had my last drink. And I planned it a year in advance for the very second. And, and I quit at that second. I had a huda hash, hot knife, and finished my Molson dry, and I went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> that was 28 years ago. Wow. And That's amazing. Yeah, so just like that, man. I just like, I'm done. You know? And it's weird because I never liked it. Like, I never liked drinking. I never liked doing drugs. You know, it was so out of character for me in the way that I had trained, the way that I had prepared myself to not be a fucking statistic, right? And and that was always in the back of my mind. I'm not going to be another Indian. I'm just not going to be another Indian. I'm going to be something different, you know? And it, it took me years longer than it should have, but I know that I'm not a statistic, and I know that I'm not just another Indian, that there's something special that those old ones gave me, and and I, I acknowledge it, I respect it, and I do my best to protect it. It's awesome. No, it's it's. Look, the the microphone picks up better when you get close. It's been just good listening to uh, your stories and getting to know who you are because I didn't, I've never met you before. So this is exactly nice to meet you. My name's Trent Achkate and. Uh, yeah, I was born in Regina as well. I yeah. did not grow up there, though. I grew up in Red Deer, Alberta. Um, my dad was a musician, so he moved around. around. And that's oh. where my mom's from, so that's where we settled. Beautiful. But yeah, um, I'm trying to think of what to ask you. That was, I'm just saying, <laughs> you're, you're a good introduction, a good introduction for sure. What, what you're from George it. Gordon's, you said? And yeah. Which, actually, this is an interesting question. You, you were talking about your your family who were signatories to Treaty 4. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, I'm descended of two families who are the main families of Gordon's First Nation. Uh, the Bird family and the Gordons. Now, the Bird family are descendant of one of the original signatories. Although, Daybird never never did sign treaty. Okay. In fact, nobody did. So, let's get that straight right away. Okay. And, and what I've learned about, about treaty process and what happened, all of this stuff was a sham. Okay, and, and I know that some of our people are going to get upset. You shouldn't talk about treaties like that. They're sacred. You know, and I totally get that. Okay, I do. But the reality is that they were never, ever going to fulfill their promises. They were never going to fulfill their promises. So my other grandfather, his name was Daybird. Kakiapiasis uh, is how we say it in Cree. The one who signed or has his name on the document. His name is Kanewu Neska Satteo, he who walks on four claws. But on the treaty, 
They spelt his name Kaneo Nescateo, which has no meaning in our language. <laughs> he, the number four in Cree is Newu. It's not found in Kaneo Nescateo. So how did they translate all the things that are on the written document to our people? They, they couldn't count to four in our language. They, yeah. they honestly didn't. You know they didn't. No, of course not. And that's my point, right? So all the old guys, you know, are really almost sanctimonious when it comes to treaty. Yeah. These are our treaty rights. What treaty rights? We had these as inherent rights before anybody ever wrote anything down. And at no time, at no time, did our grandfathers ever agree to give away everything. Yeah. And so when they say this is unceded territory, all of it is unceded territory. Mm -hmm. We never gave any of this away. Yeah. Okay. And that treaty, because you say, as in the crown says, you Indians are ceding the land forevermore or in perpetuity. And yeah. the queen mother will look after her little red children in perpetuity or as long as the sun shines, the grass grows and the waters flow. Right. So, you know, we got to look at the history. We got to look at the circumstances, the buffalo being wiped out. The children were dying of starvation. They were holding back rations. There's all these things. What makes that sacred? Mm -hmm. You know, that's the question that I have for, you know, as I'm teaching, these are the things that I talk about. These yeah. are, you know, if, if you can't spell my grandfather's name, if you can't spell the number four, then how am I supposed to trust that you have, have explained anything about what we talked about, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, the fact that my grandfathers were both pipe carriers because they were, they were chiefs, they were Ogamau, not chiefs, but Ogamau, they were hereditary leaders. So they had to be pipe carriers. Anytime that we did negotiation back then, we always did ceremony. We always did prayer. The pipes were raised with the old ones that would sit down, all the Ogamaw sat together, they shared pipe with each other. Because they needed to make sure that they were doing things in a good way. What they told the Crown representatives was, you guys come back in four seasons. You go explain to your people what we want. We're going to go and explain to our people what you want. And we need time to work all that out. So come back in four seasons, we'll share pipe then and we'll solidify this deal. We'll come to some agreement. But they never came back. They sent the Northwest Mounted Police. So for our people, they were never solidified through the pipe. And that's a lot of history that our people don't know, including those old ones. Because the old ones never did research, right? You know, they only relied on stories they heard here and there and whatever. I know stories about Kowakatus and how he you know, emptied the bag took all the money out, filled it full of sand, and then he threw the money in the fire. You know, then he took a stick that was in the fire, pulled it out, and stuck it in the earth, and the fire went out. But the money kept burning. And Kawakatu's, what he was saying was, that money, it's not going to last. Right? Here's this bag full of earth. That's how much you bought with, with the money that was in this bag. How much more money do you have? Yeah. And he said, see this stick and this earth? The earth is forever. They put the fire out. The money doesn't last. And that's how he was interpreting, you know, interpreting 
this is how much money you're going to need if you want all this. Yeah. Right. And they never brought those bags of money. They never even came back to share pipe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So those are some of the oral stories that I was told, you know, yeah. listening to those old guys and that were passed down in my family. That's amazing. You know, like, and you know, that, that it's, it's important, you know, that we have this platform here to be able to share some of those stories. Cause a lot of people, as you said, even the old ones, they don't know that, you know, and they don't know some of these stories and, you know, even including myself, like, I learned so much, like doing the, the film that I did, um, mm -hmm. you know, and it was a documentary, you know, and my idea was to record as many elders as I can, like from our area and Quakatoos, just the, the whole Touchwood area and just get their perspective of, of the land and how it became and how was it, uh, do you remember how it was before uh, it was res reservations, you know, like, and were we at this part of the land? How did we land in this area? You know, those type of questions. And, you know, but, you know, with COVID and stuff like that, I wasn't able to do that. But it's still a plan of mine to be able to do that because even with the film that I shot, uh, they found us, um, you know, and it was the, the, the recording of the unmarked graves. Two people from that film already have passed away. So it's really important that, um, you know, I want to get these stories, like your stories as well. I'll definitely be knocking on your door for <laughs> some of that as well. And, yeah, so, you know, I just want to, like, you know, we know about, um, you know, Regina. You know, we know about the the history of, of Regina and pile of bones and stuff. And do you think that... The land, um, and has there been any, any ceremonies to, um, you know, heal the land in Regina after, you know, so so many buffalo, you know, had been killed, like, you know, piled up like that, and just, just the trauma and all that. Has there ever been any ceremonies or anything done? In, in Not that I'm aware of, Kurt. I, I know that right now, uh, you know, there's people like me, and there's, there's uh, Jolie Big Eagle and her husband, Lauren, uh, that they run a, uh, an outfit called the, the Buffalo Institute. And they do a lot of healing with buffalo robes where they actually prepare the hides and they get students to help scrape the hides and you know, all that kind of stuff, right? And she actually had uh, Dudney Park named as the Buffalo Park. So, you know, she's starting to move in that direction. I've been, I, I got asked today actually to to help raise money to do a very special uh special at the first nations university powwow next year they want to do a special uh of the buffalo dance and present the buffalo dance there so i know all of that is kind of leading to what you're asking kurt and you know but we need to also understand how all that process worked right and and a lot of people don't know this but this whole area smelled of death for months and months and months right because they wiped out millions of buffalo in this area they stripped the hides and they left the carcasses to rot on the plains. And once all the scavengers were done cleaning the bones, they dried those bones in the sun. And then they went and brought them. And they piled them up 20 feet high from Broad Street to Albert Street along the railroad tracks. And that's where the term buffalo, you know, this whole idea of uh, 
whatever this this town is called, right? And you know those those pile that pile of bones were you know the result of how they tried to influence treaty, right? And and you know by starving us. And you know Daz Chuck wrote a book about it. It's a very academic book, you know. And and him and I had some of those discussions. James Daz Chuck, uh, he wrote a book called Clearing the Plains. And you know it's as I said, it's an academic book. It's for professors. And, yeah. you know, it helps them, you know, understand in, in their minds, you know, how this process works. I prefer to do it in the layman's terms, right? And, and to talk about this is the real situation here. And you can flower it up with all your language and, and all that's cool. But the reality is they use the starvation tactic. That's the bottom line. Yeah. So, you know, our stories, how we recount those stories has a lot more passion to it has a lot more spirit to it because of the way that we tell and because of the way that we carry these things inside us. Mm-hmm. You know, all of us as indigenous people, you know, you've been taken away from your, your territory, you know, uh, being raised away from your people, right? You know, and that has that, that divide and conquer thing is an old tactic, yeah. right? And it's been used from day one when it came to our people. You know, and, and I do this example. In fact, I did it today. I was teaching treaties today. Okay. And one of the things I do is I get the kids to talk about the land acknowledgement because every school does it, right? They do a land acknowledgement. We acknowledge that we are on Treaty 4 territory, traditional homes of the, of the Nehiyawik, the Nakdawe, the, the Nakoda, and homelands to the Metis, Lakota, Dakota. So traditional lands of Mahia, Nakdawit, Nakoda. That's three nations, right? That is hereditary to this territory. And everybody knows that. Why are there six treaties in Saskatchewan if they're nation to nation? And nobody can answer that question, Kurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, I would. It's called, uh, the, it's called divide and conquer. Yeah. Right? I can't go to Treaty 6 territory with my pipe or I'm going to offend somebody. No, I'm Cree. That's Cree territory. I have relatives right across Cree, Cree country. And honestly, the Cree territory at one time before colonization went from the mountains to Newfoundland. Wow. We are the largest tribe in North America, and those were our hereditary lands. We shared them with other tribes, but you could find Cree from the mountains to the ocean. That's how big our lands were. And we have stories about all of that. You know, those creation stories that you hear me tell speak of that. You know, and I, I talk about the, the whole Bering Strait theory, right? As a martial artist, I didn't just learn how to fight. I learned their epistemology. I studied their language. I studied their history of the Japanese, the Chinese, the Koreans, the Philippines. Our creation story, the so-called medicine wheel story, in our language, it's actually Bamatsu, uh, this good way of being, the sacred hoop. Right? There was no such thing as medicine wheel teaching. Some archaeologists, some Caucasian archaeologists in Montana created that name. But the teachings 
right? The sacred way of being. They existed. And it talked about the four nations, these four great tribes that were sent to the four directions to receive their gifts. And the path that they took back to the one is their spiritual path. We use the color yellow for the east to represent those nations. Those ones were given Buddha and Shinto and other entities for the one. To the south, the red nations, our people. We were given the laws of the four and Gitchi Manitou for the one. Gitchi Manitou in our language means great mystery. We don't know what it is. We just know it's greater than us. To the west, the Cree used the color blue. Lakota and Dakota, Dakota used the color black. Those ones were given Allah and Jah and other entities for the one. And to the north, the white nations, they were given the laws of the ten and Jesus and God for the one. You can travel in any path you want. No path is longer. No path is shorter. All of them lead to the one. Long before all these newcomers came here, we already knew they were coming. We already knew. You know, being people of creator, we were told to embrace them. We were told to teach them how to survive in minus 50. What berries to eat so they wouldn't poison themselves. Where to hunt, where to fish. Everyone, every nation that's come here are here by the graces of our people. That's what those creation stories tell us. That story, if we came across that land bridge from Asia, wouldn't they have that story? They don't. We're the only nations in the world that have that particular story. That's how I know we've always been here. And that's the power of the oral tradition. Mm-hmm. For sure. No, that's amazing. And, you know, uh, you know, I'm learning so much here today <laughs> with you, you know, and it, it's just, it's, it's amazing to have you on and uh, to, to share these teachings. I think it's important. And I just, I, I want to know how important do you think it is um, for our men right now in today's society to have a platform to be able to share their feelings to be able to to get together and uh you know almost find answers in each other's testimonies kind of like a platform like this where men are celebrating each other and and a second question um is there any uh men programs or male programs for boys or men that you know of uh in in regina no, there's, there's nothing that I'm aware of. There was a, a young, there was a men's group at one time uh, that, that used to be held at, uh, I think it was Four Directions in, in Regina here, uh, or it might've been the Circle Project. But going back to that first part, you know, celebrating men and, and having a voice, uh, one of our biggest issues we have right now is getting healed, right? Finding a way to healing. Now, as a recovering alcoholic, I went through a lot of different things, right? I went through the AA program. It wasn't for me. And one of the problems that I have with the AA program, now, don't get me wrong, because it can work, all right? You you have to work the program, but it can work for you. The biggest thing is you have to choose it. Every individual has to choose it for themselves. I made a a year-long commitment and set a, a time limit for myself. 
And I followed that time limit because I chose it, right? Nobody imposed it on me, right? Not my girlfriend, not my kids. It was, it was me. I chose that. And then I chose healing. One of the biggest problems we have right now, unfortunately, is we don't have enough aftercare yeah. for these young, for these young men who come out of jail. You know, they go through an outpatient program. They got to see a social worker. They got to see a probation officer. But nobody helps them set, you know, get a job, set up a bank account, learn how to do living, how to live. How do you pay your bills on a, on a daily basis, right? Yeah. How do you how do you get a phone and pay for that? Because they release them feel. into homelessness as well, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah, for sure. And that's the problem right there. Like that's exactly right. Go from an institution into homelessness because then it becomes an even bigger, you know, bigger problem for society as a whole. Because now yeah. you're not only paying for an inmate, you're paying for somebody to survive on the street, which, you know, medical costs go up. It's crazy. Like I told oh, absolutely you. absolutely is. Yeah. yeah. And the, the other thing, too, is they don't tell you, your lawyers don't tell you, right, that this is going to be your first offense. I can get you off. You just had to plead guilty and you can be home today. Yeah. So you plead guilty. But then the next time, well, this is your second offense. You know, now you're not doing 30 days. You're doing 80 days or 90 days. Then you're doing a deuce less, right? And it just compounds itself, right? And and social services, the policing department, these guys, we're, we're a staple in their diet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? We're the ones who pay for their cottages and their boats and their vacation time. That's all done on us, yeah. right? And they call it spending money on indigenous people, yeah. right? This is our this is our indigenous budget. But they're putting their budgets in the wrong places. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And that's what I mean. That's that what I mean by that. That's all, that aftercare, right? was all that money yeah. was spent in the right places. You know, like totally. that's what aftercare is, and that's what I'm talking about. So yeah. at some point, right, our people have to look at. What is healing going to look like in the future, right? What is true healing? Mm -hmm. Okay, don't program me to death. Yeah, yeah. You know? Give me a give me a hand up, not a handout. So here's yeah. how we can do that. We're gonna we're gonna do all the treatment available for you. We're gonna bring cultural teachers and lodges in the same facility, so you can do everything right there. You don't have to go out of town. You don't have to worry about getting a ride, busing, all that kind of stuff. We're gonna do that right here. We're going to have a home for you for as long as you need to get on your feet and put money in your bank account. You're going to be able to stay here rent free for up to two years. You got two years to put a down payment together and to pay six months rent in advance. Yeah. Right. You've got two years to take care of your health, to get healthy again. To work out we're gonna have a gymnasium here for you we're gonna have sports available here for you everything you need is going to be right here and you're not gonna have to go looking for it you're not gonna have them chasing you down either you need to commit to this and if you can and commit to yourself we can help you get to where you need to be i think that would be wonderful and you know also i think it would be <clears throat> wonderful for for men who are not in treatment or recovering like just us normal dads or normal oh, yeah, men man. out there yeah. we all need uh some healing from our parents 
you know, possibly going through, you know, the residential school. Both of my parents had went, and I think it would be awesome for all men to be able to have a place to express themselves and, and have a place to where they belong, you know? Yeah, absolutely, and I totally agree. And I think ultimately that's what it comes down to. Like, I know I had my mentors, right? I had people that I could look up to. You know, you, know, you were talking about interviewing elders. You know, in 1999, I, I interviewed... 39 people who went to residential school and I created 34 individual videos for them. And then I took all their stories, had it transcribed and I made a book of their stories. And then I did a book of poetry from the community and I did an elders calendar, all of that in one year and one project for Pasco First Nation. That's awesome. And that's, that's what allowed me to gain their trust because I shot I, the first interview. I had a crew. And I realized that it's, I stunted their ability to speak. And so I sent my crew home and I said, I'm going to shoot it. So I shot every other interview on my own. Yeah. I, I did the lighting. I did the sound. I did the camera work. I did the interviews. So then and I created that report, right? Yeah. Create that report. And, and once you have that, that trust, that's how we build it. No, but it's okay. No, it's just reminding me of something from my childhood, actually. I don't know if you guys ever saw anything like this, but um, my Kokum used to have this book that I remember, and it was a brown book, and it, it had um, stories of elders, like, from all, all across Saskatchewan. Like, mm -hmm. I wish Paul A. Coos was in there. And then yeah, I, I know the one. And there were syllabics in there, and, like, yeah. that was, like, one of my first um, introductions to, like, pre-writing or soto language yeah. like syllabics and stuff so like just seeing the um the evolution of how we're capturing these stories right like yeah, and the importance of it because you know people can grab this and capture so much of like their grandparents mm -hmm. just sitting there and talking to them and their grandparents are more comfortable with them or their aunts and uncles and we need to do more of that and, you know, what you did was groundbreaking, obviously. You know, we're making that elevation, and then hopefully we can keep capturing those stories for all our next generations. Well, a couple of years ago, I went back to, to Pasco, and they asked me to come back. And at that time, I interviewed over 300 survivors oh, wow. and, and, and published another book for them. I wrote it, designed it, published it for them. Yeah. And, you know, so it was a 20-year gap between those two. Yeah. But but what was more important in the way that I do things is before I even start any project, I tobacco their elders and I do ceremony first yeah. before I turn any camera on, before I hook up any microphone. I always do it through spirit first, right? And I always look for that guidance. And when I was done listening to all those horrific stories, I went back to ceremony again yeah. because I was carrying all of that. Mm -hmm. Right, Can't you know, and having to listen, you know, and, and here's the fascinating thing for me is how similar those stories were. Some of these people didn't grow up with each other; they weren't in the same schools, but the stories were very, very similar. The babies being thrown in the furnace, babies that were born to the little girls on in, in those residential schools. The fathers were the priests, and they burned them in the furnace in the boiler room. Yeah. That's how they got rid of the evidence. And I heard that story many times. 
through all the people that I've interviewed. And if that, if you don't believe that that causes triggering and trauma. Yeah. Right. And that's why I, I needed to go to ceremony. I needed to have my people ready to support me when I was ready to go, you know, and take it back to the ancestors and ask forgiveness for having to bring these details up. But every time I was told these stories have to come, it's time for these things to be spoken. You know, yeah. we've had to hide everything for so long and people didn't believe us. You know, that was in 1999. You know, when I was already hearing about the graves and the, and the kids who had the big graves for their fellow students. Yeah, that is crazy. You, you know, know, and you guys, we're only now uncovering the bodies because we have the technology, right? But yeah. we've always known about the graves. They've always known. And people need, you know, need not wonder why we suffer intergenerational trauma or trauma from these things. Like that trauma runs through our whole community, right? Like it runs the, through our blood, gentlemen. Yeah, right? I call it blood trauma because yeah. whether you experienced it or not, it's still in you. Yeah, right. I wasn't taken. I've always had my family. Yeah. At, at sixty-two years old, I can say that I never went to residential school. But was I impacted by it? You're damn right I was. Yeah. You know, and that's what blood trauma does. Yeah. Right? And and we're not the first ones. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Africa, New Zealand, Australia, India, on and on and on. Right? The yeah. Philippines. I, I teach Filipino kids. One of the questions I ask them is, tell me what your spirituality was before the Spanish came and conquered you. Yeah. They don't know. No. Their original spirituality in the Philippines, they were Buddhists. Oh, okay. And they're so far removed from it, the kids have no idea. Yeah, they're so colonized. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, we're lucky because we were the last ones colonized. We were the last ones colonized, gentlemen. Yeah. That's how we're able to retain so much. And I knew that. That's why I went out to find it. I went out to listen to those old guys because I knew we were the last ones and that knowledge was still among us. You know, I interviewed the last hereditary chief in Saskatchewan. That's amazing. Yeah, man. And, and he yeah. was such a, such a cool old guy. You know, he was from Daystar. His wow. name is Morris, Morris Kinnequan. And in fact, if you go to uh, to Cree Runner One, O N E, on YouTube, you'll see a video called "Prairie Sunset People" that I shot in ninety six, ninety seven, ninety seven, ninety eight, and and premiered in ninety nine. And Morris is in there. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So I remember all those old guys, man, you know, and I remember how they used to talk. Like they all had such great sense of humor, like as quiet as they were, they were funny as hell. <laughs> <laughs> we could like, I could sit with those guys for days and some of them I did, you know, uh, Elder Gordon Oaks, for instance, Larry Oaks is that he was, uh, he was the chief of Neganit First Nation, but he was also a traditional elder. 
he was the one who designed Treaty Four Flank, and he gave me the teachings of that flank, right? And why he wanted to do it, and he took me as his son. I spent five years with him without my camera, oh, well. just sitting with him. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. You know, just him and I in ceremony, sharing pipe. You know, listening to these things, learning the stories, eh? Yeah, man. Yeah. It's a part so of powerful, man. It's so powerful. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, it's, you know, there's, I, I've been really blessed, you know, to have yeah. known all those old guys. And unfortunately, you're not going to get to see them, Kurt, you know, like, because so, so many are gone. Yeah. And, and some of their memories, they're lost too, eh? Because yeah. their families didn't listen to them. <clears throat> you know, they were all, they were all separated already, right? And there was all that dysfunction in those communities, especially in touch with, Right, because we're related to everybody, bro. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, but we're all over the place. True, right? yeah. You know, and everybody's at different stages of learning and yes. trying to recover things, right? Yes. I, yeah. I did it at a time when, when those old guys were still around. Jeez. Right? And, and now they're gone. You know, so I know what I have and I know what I'm blessed with, you know, to, to, to be able to retain the memories the way that I have. You know, I'm very, very fortunate. Uh, it scares me sometimes because my father died of dementia. Mm. Right? So how long am I going to retain this? Yeah. Right? And who's going to capture it? Because I'm retired, right? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I'm not doing film production anymore. I'm done. Well, now what you can do is <laughs> sit and tell stories on yeah, podcasts yeah, like this. You guys, and you, guys, <laughs> yeah, you guys come and see me and we'll chat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> exactly. No, they... Like my mom talks about stories about, you know, Musham, uh, you know, singing uh, her to sleep, you know, oh, yeah. like the drum was yeah. a part of her waking up and a part of her going to, to bed. Eh? So it was mm -hmm. really a big part of her life. And she even talks about, you know, Musham saying, hey, my girl, get the tea ready. We're going to have some guests. Mm -hmm. They're coming from a really far distance. Yeah. They're going to spend three days and do a ceremony with me and mm -hmm. so like the snow was coming out and these people knocked on the door and she went and looked there was no footsteps coming up to the to the house <laughs> you know? nice i love it man so like little That's little awesome. uh little interesting stories like that and like even how does like a mushroom get called to go and sing in arizona back in those days eh mm. you know and then they yeah, end man. up they end up there to sing for somebody's funeral. Hang on a second, guys. Yeah. Excuse me. Sorry, honey. I'm on the I'm on the phone. I got you. Yeah. All right, I'm back, guys. Sorry about that. Well, it's it's all right. My woman just got home and she's got her arms full. <laughs> and I, I got the look. <laughs> Get over here. Well, you <laughs> it's, all, it's all good. It's all good. But so, yeah, yeah man, those stories are so interesting, you know. And, are, uh, man. and and you know, a lot of people wouldn't understand those those mm -hmm. those those stories, but the drum and the and singing is just so powerful in connection to the spirit world, you know, and uh I guess my mushroom was 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 one of those people that 
uh, connected his drum to himself. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, you know, like Gordon talked a lot about that too, right? Like, you know, being in those ceremonies and what that means and, you know, the connection that we have in the lodge, you know, that nobody has, right? Nobody has that. And, you know, like I've studied Taoism and Buddhism, Shintoism. I'm a, I'm a confirmed Roman Catholic, right? But I've never connected to anything spiritual like I have in Sweat Lodge. Mm-hmm. Like I have, you know, being at Sundance and helping with the pipes, you know, like to see that, to to be with our ancestors like that, to have that portal open for us, you know? And, you know, my lady and I were talking about that the other day, and like, I, I, I don't have any fear of death. Mm-hmm. Like I've already died once, right? You know, I died on the operating table when I was six weeks old, you know, when they brought me back, you know, and I was close to death. I don't even know how many times I put my life at risk, you know, but I don't have any fear of it because I know that it's temporary. Right. And and that's why we don't have a word for goodbye in our language, mm. because we know we're going to see each other again. Right. Either in this world or in the spirit world. We don't have to have that word. We don't need it. It's not relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, but we connect in those lodges and, and it scares a lot of people because we have that ability. You know? And only indigenous people have that. Mm-hmm. You know, other nations don't have it, man. I've, I've been with them. I know they don't have it. Mm-hmm. You know, not like us. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's powerful because we can use it, right? That's mm-hmm. when we ask for things. Yeah. Right. We can ask for whatever we want in those lodges. You know, I smudge and pray here. You know, and I do that every morning. But I never pray for myself. I never ask for things for myself until yeah. I go in the lodge. And then I ask those questions like, "So, Mushum, what did the what did you tell those white guys <laughs> when, they, when when they touched you with the pen?" Right. I ask those questions in the lodges. Mm-hmm. And that's where I've learned a lot about what happened is in the lodge. No, that's amazing. So we're, uh, we're, we have another guest that's coming on in the next uh, few minutes here, but I, one more question that um, I want to ask you and and you kind of got to it, but I just want to re, you know, ask you, um, you know, you were talking about uh, a facility, you know, that's important to have in our major cities. <clears throat> and how important is it, do you think, for people that, uh, you know, are just living in the city that are not looking for, to be from a treatment center or an aftercare mm-hmm. program or just want the uh, ability to have somebody somewhere to learn uh, their ceremonies or their culture, kind of like what we see with, uh, you know, the Catholic churches and mm-hmm. you know, all the different mosques and stuff that you'll see in Regina and all yeah. over every major city. How important is it for, to, for indigenous people to have somewhere to pray? It's absolutely necessary. You know, I, I think we're at a point in our, in, in our, you know, revival, if you will, our, our renaissance that it's time for these things, right? And more of our people are wanting them. Um, I'm working with the city of Regina right now uh, on a site that hasn't been touched for five years. And it's in the city, it's, it's not far from the airport actually. 
but we're talking about being able to do ceremonies right there on that land to set up a lodge to have a fire there to take care and offer healing for our people so we've been aware of it for a while uh former uh deceased elder mike Pinay actually had a lodge out at the regina dojak center which is a youth center but the rcmp had land right beside dojak and mike was able to do a lodge there an indoor lodge uh, and we did outdoor lodges in the summer and it was big enough to do a horse dance as well and that's what i like about the, the area that the city has right now is i've got room to do all that we could do all that there right so you know it, i'm in the process of trying to get these things off the ground uh i'm meeting actually um tomorrow with a couple of people from the folklore society because they're going to host a conference for me in the spring to uh try and get back some of our uh sacred sites and i want to be able to to take some of our people to those sites to help them reconnect right with what our ancestors left behind and and there's a story to that too but i i know we're short on time but there's <laughs> there's a story i'll share with you again kurt that uh that that came from a dream that i had in 2003 and then in 2005 i found a sacred site and and the ceremony led me there but the dream initiated it so i'll tell you that dream next time i see you no that's amazing and i can't wait and we too we believe that it's it's important for indigenous people to have a safe place also to have our funerals to oh, have, yeah, you know yeah. to have all those things inside the city where you know you can take the bus to it you know mm -hmm. where where you you know people have access you know that don't have vehicles yeah. you know and yeah. so it's it's really important and i really hope to see also uh men's groups develop it's important for us to follow suit in our women's healing i believe getting yeah. into circles and you know celebrating each other and and talking about you know um our accomplishments as men and you know lifting each other up you know it's time for us to yeah. have that place in in society and really i you know I, I know that a lot of people have been talking about toxic masculinity but i think it's important for us to have masculinity as men and um <clears throat> as long as it's uh you know that healthy masculinity but it's important for us to all be able to be men well, the thing is, though, Kurt, and, and Trent, you know this too, that when you run into, you know, men that have that ability, right, you know, we have to remember where we learn those toxic traits. Yeah, you know, yeah. Right? And that those were not hereditary. Right? Those are not our inherent ways. That's right. And the ones who connect to the inherent ways like yourselves, you know, having been through what you guys have been through in your own rights, you know, knowing that that's not the life I want. That's not the life I want for my children. That's yeah. where it changes, right? And yeah. when you when you meet like minds, you know, that's when these things can grow, right? Like it's hard for me to go out and find that now, right? Because I'm so busy doing all the other stuff that I do, you know, like to try and focus on, you know, a treatment center and that kind of stuff, right? I, I actually passed that idea on to a group of women who are trying to, to, to lobby, you know, for a treatment center. And I said, you've got to make it bigger than a treatment center, right? And it has to be a place of healing for anybody who wants it, right? Not just addicts, not just, you know, alcoholics, whatever. It's got to be a, a place of healing. 
and not a treatment center, but a place of healing. Yeah. Right. Those are the types of things. And what uh, you guys are doing right now, having that ability, right? Yeah. Having that ability to reach out and talk to other men, you know, yeah. to, to express ourselves honestly, you know, to be truthful about our past and our wrongdoings, but know that we're not, do, we're not that person anymore. Yeah. Right. You know, you can label me any way you want. You know, you might have known me 40 years ago, but you don't know me from yesterday. Mm. <laughs> right. And you don't know who I'm going to be tomorrow because I'm still evolving. Right. And, and that's how we need to see each other. And we need to yeah. allow ourselves those graces, you know, instead of trying to tear each other down right away. Yeah. You know, that's that's the crab in the bucket stuff. Right. I, I don't want to pull you down. I want to lift you out. Right. Yeah, I want to help you get out, man. You know, yeah. Escape. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Get going. It's yeah. like when I walked into the doing the film. You know, I was walking into it as a filmmaker, not as somebody who has family that has been on chief and council or any of those things. I was coming in this to make relationships based on my experience with that person, not based on my family's history to the reserve or any of those things. And, you know, that's kind of how I want to live my life. Like at the screening in, in Regina, I played on my traditional flute. I played a traditional song for, you know, the Lakota, that's their instrument, but we adopt their instruments into our lives. So I played a traditional song and then I was able to play Amazing Grace and say, my brother, he believes in, uh, he's a born again person. Mm -hmm. Myself, I don't, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't really believe in Jesus or any of those things. I follow a traditional way, but I can respect and we can eat at the same table. We can yeah, still absolutely. be friends. We can yeah. still, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, see eye to eye and, and you know, still be family. It's important to have that, you know, for sure. Yeah, for sure, man. And yeah. hey, we just lost Kevin Locke, eh? Uh, I met Kevin in 1982 at the World Assembly of First Nations. And uh, he gave he gave me the Lakota flute start mm -hmm. in 1982. Wow. And I, and I don't play the flute, man. <laughs> you know, my nephew does though. My, ne my nephew, Jacob, Jacob yeah. Pratt. Yeah. I, I produced his flute CD, actually. Oh, that's um, amazing, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, so it, it's just weird how all these things have come full circle, you know. Totally. But it's also natural, right? And, and I well, think that's the beauty yeah. of it. We're going to have to get this guy on here again because I spent most of my time just listening. I didn't have to <laughs> get questions. And, you know, but that was kind of how I was raised, too. When you're, yeah. I was yeah. learning, so I was like, you know, you sit here yeah. and be quiet and <laughs> take yeah. it well, all in. I'm glad to meet you, Trent, you know, and, and I definitely would love to, you know, chat some more and, and hear about your family and your music. You know, yeah. I, a lot of musicians in my family. I was trained as a sound engineer. Oh, sweet. Know? And yeah, so I've been around music my whole life. Yeah. Uh, and even when I create, and I was telling Kurt this, when I do films, I always have the music in my head first. Okay. And I don't know how to read music, but I, yeah. I have it in my head and I know what I want, right? And yeah. I always cut I always cut to the music. Right? Not the not the not the other way around. Yeah. I do it the exact opposite. Yeah, so I'd love to love to sit down and, and hear some of you guys' stuff, man. Send yeah. me some links. You know? We'll have to throw on an event all together, man. Starting right. Yeah, man. That would be cool. That was yeah. fun that day, you know? Yeah, man. 
For yeah. sure. We'll have to I, do something. Yeah. I think we just need to do that, right? In whatever way possible. Yeah, right? Sure. If music's the way you tell your stories and do it that way, you know? For sure. And, I, you know, just pulling us all together just to just have a night out, you know? Yeah. Like that, you know, it's, it's cool. And I, I don't get to do that much anymore, you know? Uh, I'm getting kind of tired, but <laughs> I, still, I, I still love listening to good music. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Roger. It was uh, my pleasure. Man. Pleasure to meeting have you. you. And uh, you know, we'll we'll be in touch. And uh, you are definitely a deadly uncle. Thank you. Miwago Maganik. You guys are pretty deadly uncles yourselves. All right. <laughs> have a good easy, one. Right, Bye. Peace. You're listening to the Deadly Uncle Podcast. A safe space for Deadly Uncle conversations.